Wow, okay. <laughs> Anyone excited about the team meeting they have coming up this week at work? Nope. Yeah, no, John was about to put his hands up, maybe. Anyone excited about deadlines they've got coming up this week? Nope. Maybe so, no? Okay, well, interestingly, I think in terms of the hours we have uh, for the upcoming week, we have 168 hours uh, that we can use next week. So 24 hours a day, 168 hours. We've got uh, 49 of those hours on average are spent with our sleeping. So that's about 29% of our time. Um, and as of December 2023, the average time we spent at work in the UK was 36.4 hours. So that comes to about 22% of our week. But then when you take away the sleep time, that brings us to about 31% of our week, of the time that we're awake. Oh, 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 oh yeah, that's, that's what it is. I'm, oh, okay, I'm gonna bring this lever down. Here we go. Any better? Thanks, guys. Okay, so that's 31% of our week. Um, now, these numbers that I'm sparring out to you, uh, sputing out to you, rather, um, don't account for overtime, they don't account for the fact that some people are working two jobs, and they don't account for your travel time there and back. Right, so it's fair to say we spend a lot of our time at work, no? Um, so that means there's a high probability that how our minds work, who we are, um, and how we behave is gonna be most very highly likely to be shaped by work, um, and by the time we spend at work. So what does that mean for the Christian? Um, and I think that's a really important point and I want to get into that today. So bow your heads with me, please, and let's take some time to pray. Um, Father Lord, thank you for your time. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. Thank you for giving us the strength, the ability, the grace to be here, Lord. And we pray that you would speak to us today uh, through your word, Lord, that we would grow um, in you today, Lord, as we hear your word, as we delve into your word, as we delve into more of who you are, and that I pray that that would shape us, Lord, um, for the coming week and for the rest of our lives, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So, sorry, I'm getting a lot of feedback because of, well, mic is placed, so don't mind me. Um, but yeah, today, I want to spend some time, um, I've titled my message, The Pursuit of Quiet, and we'll get into why I'm talking about the pursuit of quiet. Um, but I want to spend, I'm going to spend a lot of time today in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. So if you could turn with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And if you get to verses 9, verses 9 to 12, we're going to spend practically most of our morning today in verses 9 to 12. Are we all there, roughly? Maybe, yeah, cool, so I'm gonna read. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Amen, right? So 
I don't necessarily need to read that again. I, I hope that kind of gets through, but as I say, we'll spend some time sort of delving into um, the parts of, parts of these. So, first and foremost, the way the world uh, views works is uh, that work is just a means to an end, for the most part. In fact, some of us here, we view work in that way. It's just a means to an end. Uh, so you do what you do so that you can do what you really want to do, basically, right? You, you work a job so you can do the other stuff that you really want to do. It's not, you're not working for work itself um, or for the love for work itself. In fact, I, I would almost hazard a guess that practically nobody um, and, and very or very little of us actually work for the sake um, of, of what they do, for the sake of the work they do. Um, rather, as I say, it's a byproduct, or it's to get money, or it's to get status. Um, and if that's not you, shout amen. Amen. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Okay, some of us are honest, I like that. That's fair. If that's not you, shout amen. Amen. Cool, I, I, I'm, I'm happy, I, I, to some degree, I'm, I'm happy I got, I got that response. Now, I wanna delve into why that shouldn't be um, our premise. It, it, it shouldn't be actually for the fact that it's just money or status that we're at work. Um, but it's interesting that a lot of us actually were quite quiet when I say say amen if that's not you, um, because Perhaps that's showing a bit of our heart and where our heart lies. Um, now, for instance, some of you, I don't know if you guys are in the, some of you in the medical field. Um, I don't know if some of you actually practice medicine just for the sake of, do you know, I really want people to not be sick anymore. So I can't wait to give paracetamol or to, <laughs> or to um, prescribe the antibiotics because I just want people to be well. If, if that's you, I won't make you raise your hands, but but have that in your mind if that's actually how you practice. Um, if, if you're a lawyer, I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I, I practice in law. Uh, I wonder whether, you know, or, or if you do it, whatever you do, whether you take instructions from your clients for the passion of justice because you just want to see uh, right done, done by them and, and, and rather um, that, you know, that, that's really what you want to do. But I just want you to think in your mind, think of someone who joins the army. What could possibly drive you, motivate you to join the army, if possibly not because you think there is something to be done in this particular country, I need to join the army? That may not necessarily be the case for every soldier, but you can probably hazard a guess that that's the case for a lot of soldiers, that they actually join the army for the sake of the need of the country and then wanting to join it and do what we want to do. And I wonder if that's anywhere near the approach that we have when we actually attend work, when we go to work, when we think about work. Now, there's a quote that I want to read out to you guys, and it's from someone called Dorothy Sayers. So Dorothy Sayers was a uh, famous Christian novelist, um, a playwright, and I actually only discovered this morning that she lived in Whitton. Uh, Whitton is my town, is where I, where I live, uh, and, I actually, and the road where I live in the road like, that leads to my road is actually named after her. So, big up with him. She, uh, yeah. So, um, but, but she was a famous Christian um, playwright. Uh, she, she, she was named amongst the likes of Agatha Christie, etc. And um, she used to write about um, sort of crime and did a sort of lot of theatre play, playwriting and stuff. And then eventually was sort of doing Christian literature. But she had this quote from some of the literature that she had, and I think it's going to really help us and guide us in how we think about work going forward now. So, and I've got this quote here, and she says, 
Work is the gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. I wanted to keep that in your mind and, and write that down if you need to, but work should be the gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. So our framework for how we view work is really, really important. It is important because unless you understand the biblical doctrine of work, you will never have rest. You, you'll never have quiet. You'll never be relaxed, right? Um, on one side of the spectrum, there's the kind of work that actually comes from having so much rest, from, from being in, in, in a state of rest. And so you work really efficiently, really well. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we have a kind of restless work. Um, you're, co you're just constantly chasing shadows in the, in, the, in the way that you work. And we all fall in probably two, one of two of those categories, in the way we work, in the way we're looking for work, um, in the way we approach our thoughts about work. Um, but I want to give us two guidelines, um, again, that should guide us in how we, one, look for work, and, and two, think about the work we're, we're, we're currently in. And number one is that work needs to be, um, the, or that the functional reason for why you should do any job is because it helps other people, right? I think that's principle number one. We have to live and, 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 and think in that way about work, that my functional purpose for work is so that it helps other people, right? Now, you don't, shouldn't primarily do it because of money um, or because of status, uh, but what we can miss potentially reading um, verses 10 and 11, and we'll come back to Ephesians, but when you look, look at verse, verse 10 and 11, is that this is actually all one sentence where Paul's writing. Paul's writing here, and sometimes you can read it and think, oh, he's talking about brotherly love, brotherly love in, in one bit, and then he's talking about work, and it's like two different things. They're not two different things. It's one, it's one sentence, and it's one verse, and it's important that you read it in that way and think about it that way. So just reading that um, again, and he says, so... For, for that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. So he's talking about loving more and more. And he says, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Right? Um, he's saying that the better way to love people is to work. He's saying that the better way to love people is to work and work better as well. Um, and then in verse 12, he then goes on to explain the reason for that. He explains the reason why you can love people in your work. And he says it's so that you can earn, so where am I? So, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, a bit of context, and I was going to touch on that, but the Thessalonians at the time weren't really working. They, they actually, at the time, the, the Thessalonian church were not working. These were people who had become really spiritual. So Paul had just come, he'd preached the gospel. There was a lot of persecution going on in Thessalonians, and they were gassed up by the gospel. These guys were really passionate, really zealous. And actually, they got to a point where they stopped working. They saw workers like, this is, this is for, the, for the low, for the low, of a low, you know, the lowly people kind of thing. It was degrading. Uh, and so they stopped working. They, and, and the thing that was fashionable at the time was the arts. It was the arts, it was if you're in artistry or if you're into philosophy. Those are the things that were popular at the time in the Church of Thessalonians. So people were just not really working. And Paul was telling them, you need to go work. Work with your hands. This is how you love people because people were becoming dependent. The Church of uh, uh, Thessalonica, they were people who had become so, as I say, they, they, were, they were idle. 
who effectively are idle people and they were becoming like busybodies, getting into the business of others. Um, and so when he's speaking to them, he's speaking to them in this, in this way. Now, in other words, what Paul was telling us is that the Christian worldview is that we work so that we don't drain our community, we invest in our community, right? We don't drain, we don't just take from the common good, but we invest in the common good so that we can be people who do that by working, right? And so you can get a job that makes you um, a lot of money, but doesn't particularly help anyone. Um, or equally, you can get a job um, that, you know, does, that doesn't, doesn't make you a lot of money, but it's really helpful. But if you have to choose between the two, the first guideline is that the job needs to make you useful. Right? It, needs to make, it needs to make you useful, and it needs to be a job that loves people, um, a job that helps people, because the main biblical principle here about work is that the purpose of work is for the common good. Now, again, we have to think about this more comprehensively. Not, not all work um, necessarily you know, is, is, is things that we should be getting involved in. Um, and some of you might actually say, well, David, I, I work in a, in a factory, um, or I work you know, just making air conditioners, I work making chairs, Etc. I work maintaining the highway. Um, that, that's not really helping people. So, you know, I think I need to move jobs. Obviously, is this what you're saying? Is this what you're telling me? Um, no. No, that's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is to recognise, actually, that all work um, is good work. Um, not necessarily well-paying work all the time, uh, not necessarily highly skilled work, um, but it's certainly useful. All, all work can, can be useful. And that's where we need to have our framework in when we're thinking about work and our life in work. Um, I mean, I don't know about you guys, I drove down here and the amount of potholes that I'm, I'm seeing, I mean, actually, you know, thank God for when they are filled up by the guys who maintain, who maintain the, the road, who maintain the, the highway, because it means I don't have to go to the mechanic and relive my trauma of time spent <laughs> and, 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 the, and the mechanic telling me all the problems that my car has that I didn't know before I got to him. So, you know, actually, we, 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 need, we need to think about all work as good work, thinking about the better, the common good um, for all. Now, the second principle uh, that's really important is that all work needs to fit with our abilities and talents and passions. Uh, all work is a calling. Um, now, up here, I've got this sort of um, animated character. That's Avatar. That's the Avatar. If you guys watched The Last Airbender, yeah, I'm a big fan of, you know, like some uh, anime and stuff like that. But uh, Avatar, just a really, really brief rundown. I won't tell you all about it. But basically, Avatar is a fantasy world that's set in like kind of Asian Arctic kind of world or whatever. And the idea is that there were four tribes. And the four tribes were Earth, um, Air, the Earth, the earthbenders, fire, firebenders, waterbenders, and the airbenders, right? And Avatar Ang is supposed to be the last airbenders. But the idea is that they were all different tribes because they all had different talents, different abilities, right? And so for us, the way we should view work, the way we should see work is that actually there is a spectrum, right? There's a major spectrum of like loads of jobs you could do here, loads of jobs you could do here, loads of jobs you can do here. And actually who we are, our experiences, our talents, our, our, our gifts, um, and our passions actually should make us fit into, 
into, into a few of these different categories. And so we need to be looking at work, thinking about work, about how can I best exploit? Lord, how can you best exploit my gifts, my passions in my work? Um, you know, and in the work that I look for, in the work that, that, that I'm kind of in, or in the role that I'm in, how, Lord, how can you best exploit me? And that's really important. It's really important that we view work in that way, that we have that kind of mind there. Now, coming back again to 1 Thessalonians 4, if you look at verse 11, um, it's quite interesting because as I was kind of studying on this, a lot of commentators, I think, struggle, well, a lot of commentators say that there is a struggle in the translation. So in terms of getting the best out of, out of what the translation should actually be saying, a lot of people have kind of struggled with it. Um, so I was going to use the translation from, I think, the Young Literal Translation. And when you look at verse 11, the literal translation actually says, um, and to study, to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to do work with your hands as we did command you. Like I said to you guys before, Paul was talking to a, a group of people who are idle. Um, they, they weren't working, um, as I say, because the church was so engrossed in spirituality and they were interfering in other churches, in other churches' business. And there was a restlessness about them. And so Paul was actually telling them, study. In, in other translations, you see it say, make it your ambition. So it's kind of like a juxtaposition because he's saying, make it your ambition, you know, for some people to say to lead a quiet life. So I, are you telling me, make it your ambition to not have ambition or make it your, make your ambition to not do anything. And that's not quite what he's saying, but actually what he's saying is, he says, and to study to be quiet. So make it your ambition, make it your focus, your target, actually to find rest, to find rest, to find a quietness. Um, and when we talk about quietness, it's a kind of set, it's a settledness in your heart, a settledness in your mind. And that's what we're kind of talking about today. When you're, when you're pursuing in, in your work, in how you view work, whether you're going to move from your, from your current role, whether you're, you're, you're thinking about staying in your current role, find quietness. You know, that's, that's our pursuit in, in, in God. We find quietness in work. Um, now, when we talk about, you know, there being a calling, as I say, there's different, there's different gifts, there's different experience, and there is a spectrum um, over which we can try and find, find our roles. Now, for some people, as I say, their passions, their desires, um, it, it leads them and their abilities, it puts them in a perfect role where they're helping people because that's where they're, they're leaning to. And it's perfect and it's fine. And it benefits people. Um, but on the other hand, for some of us, it's actually really difficult to find the, the ideal job because actually our, our, our passions don't necessarily lend themselves to something that is an obvious way in which it helps people. It doesn't lead necessarily into the role where we feel like, oh, I'm, I'm obviously you know, um, helping people in, in my role. But as a Christian, as the Christian, the challenge is therefore to use the two principles to make work tolerable. That's important. It's important that actually, if you're in a role where you feel, I'm, I don't feel that this is overtly necessarily helping anyone. I don't, I don't necessarily feel um, satisfied in, in, in my role. Actually, the challenge for the Christian is to look at work and say, in my role, with my gifts that God has given me, with my abilities, with my passions, how can I exploit them more in what I'm doing, in what I'm currently doing? And how can I help people more? 
how can I be more beneficial? Or how can I see my role as actually helping people? And this is, these two principles, as I say, are really important because they're important in your walk, in your, in your route to finding rest, to finding quiet in work. So we've spoken about the importance of these two principles, but it's important to say that these guidelines, they're not enough. They're definitely not, not enough. Um, in your job, you can say, look, I'm trying to answer God's call. Um, I'm benefiting people around me, um, or I'm trying to benefit people around me. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. It's important that actually you remember and you refrain yourself um, from having the mindset that says, I am here to make money. And, or... I am here for my identity. I am here to grow my status. Um, a lot of you might say, look, David, it's fine. Having these guidelines are great. Okay, you know, I've got these guidelines. I'm, uh, but to be honest, for me, I'm trying to honour God in, in my work. You know, I'm trying to help people around me here and there. You know, um, and sure, that's great. But I do find myself continuously going after the money. I do find myself uh, continuously wrapped up um, in my work for the money, period. Um, or it's for identity. I, I need a status in, in my work, um, period. I, I can't go without it. And what ends up happening when this creeps in constantly, and if, if that's the driving factor, and as I say, it, it's important. It's, it's an important factor, but if it's the driving factor um, for you in how you look for work, in how you think about work, you will end up in two places. Work will either be far too important for you. It will be far too important to you. You will lose a lot um, of life um, around you um, because of it. Or work will be far too unimportant for you. Work will be far too unimportant for you if um, you are not fighting against those, those, those two things. Now, where it's so important to you, you'll burn out. As I say, you'll, you'll work too much. Uh, you'll lose your marbles um, because, <laughs> you know, work will be just so draining for you. Or on the other end, on the other end, if you're driven by these things, then work will either just be so draining for you that you see no real benefit in it. You, see, you, see, you don't see God's greatness in, in your work. And so, actually, it just becomes a thing of just trying to get paid, um, period. And, and nothing, nothing more. It, you, you, you'll never find rest in a role. You'll just constantly be on the move, always looking for the, the next move and, and never actually satisfied, never, never happy, um, and, and always complaining about your role. You'll never have rest. Um, so as I say, these principles are not enough. And so going back to the quotation that we had from Dorothy, uh, Dorothy Sayers, who helpfully... Um, gave us this, this idea of, that, of the fact that work is supposed to be a gracious expression of creative energy. So what does that mean, right? So I want to look at it in two ways. Um, firstly, I think the, the, for, gracious, for, for, for work to be a gracious expression of creative energy, you have to see work as the expression of the energy of your creator, right? Work is the expression of the energy of God in you. And, and if you don't see it that way, you will struggle to enjoy work, period. All right? 
Now, Paul uses the phrase, work with your hands. Again, we're back at verse 11 of Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. And he says, work with your hands, because as I say, the Greek culture at the time was that manual work was degrading. Manual work was degrading to, to, to many of them. As I say, a lot of the people went, went into artistry and philosophy. It wasn't fashionable to work with your hands. And so Paul was writing so that they wouldn't be shaped by that. And the Bible, unlike any other religion, it's not like any other religion in the fact that the Bible, in the Bible, we see creation, we see the incarnation, and we see the resurrection. And in all those things, we see God's hands in the dirt. We see God putting hands to work. He's, he's, he's using his hands to work. So in creation, God's hand is cleaning the dirt. He's cleaning the dirt and he's creating, and he's creating out of the dirt. In the incarnation, God becomes physical. So God experiences, God, God experiences manual labor. Jesus was, was a carpenter. And then in the resurrection, he's redeeming the physical. So God is redeeming us. God is, God is changing the way we deal with physical things, in, in all, which was carnal, God has now make it, made it clean. He's made, he's made a way in which we can actually work through him. So he's redeeming our physical acts and, and, and our physical um, engagement with the world. In God, we have an example of the fact that all work has dignity. All work has dignity and all work has value. And again, that's so important that we see things that way. So that when we're cleaning the streets, right, when we're doing any other unskilled or skilled labor, we can rest assured that we are bringing order out of chaos. Amen. In your work, you are bringing order out of chaos. There is chaos in this world. You guys know, I don't need to tell you, right? And in your work, in every role, we have to see that we are being image bearers. We are bringing order out of chaos, and that's what it looks like to be expressing the energy of the Father, right? You're expressing God's energy in, in your work. And so when, you, when you're looking at the world, you're remembering God redeemed, God came in his son to redeem this world, and he's still redeeming it. He's still, he's still redeeming us. We are still being sanctified day by day. And part of that sanctification is that we, we bear his image. So when I'm taking instructions from someone about a boundary dispute with a neighbor, or when someone is cleaning the street, or when someone draws a painting and sells it so that it's placed on your wall, or when someone is going through the accounts, um, and telling the directors that, look, you can't, you can't put that down as a business expense, sorry. Um, or, or we are all doing the same thing, right? We're doing the same thing. We are doing valuable work and bringing order out of chaos. We are doing what God did. We are seeking justice. We are creating. We are healing. Uh, we are feeding. We are maintaining. We're being image bearers. Amen. Yeah? And it's important, I think, I think a big point out of this is to remember that the way we work, the way we have to think about work is that we are not being redeemed of the world. We're not being taken away. God is not saying, don't, like, just, just get out of there entirely, but we are redeemed for the world, right? God is redeeming us to do good work, to do valuable work, um, and, to, and to bless others, and to bring again, almost, almost our experience of heaven, our experience of God in us, we're bringing that to the world. 
That's what our calling is, right? And I think the second part of the, the advice that we have to think about when we talk about the gracious expression of creative energy is that we have to ultimately work to please God, right? We have to work to please God. Now, if you look at um, verse 1 of chapter 4, I know that's not where we focused on, but Paul starts there. And Paul says this, he says, Finally then, brothers, we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. That's the context before we get to the part about work, the part about saying that actually we should live a quiet life, is that actually the whole point of this ultimately and first and foremost is that we please God and I want to put to you that there is a difference between pleasing God and appeasing God I think there is a huge difference and I'll get into that shortly but there is a difference between pleasing God and appeasing God to appease God you get to sit there and say well you know I'm doing all this work God, you know, I want you to, you should, you should hear me. You want God to, to hear your prayers. You, you want God to help you. Um, because, look, I'm doing all this work. I'm trying to please people. I'm doing all the best I can. You know, shouldn't that, shouldn't that be enough? Can I, can I get something back, God? Can I get something back? Hello. You know, and, and, and if you're living that, that, that's more what it looks like to want to appease God. You just want to, you know, it's kind of like, um, hmm, let me think. I don't know, when, when you're trying to, uh, to get someone to go away and you just give them, give them this or whatever it is, or, um, you know, I remember when, it, when, I was, when I was younger, sometimes you, after you've had one, one biscuit sort of thing, you ask for a biscuit, you come for the second one, and my, my, my mum would typically go, <laughs> just come, go away. You know, that, that's almost the, the, the thought process in how we try to, um, you know, appease God. It's like, I've given you, you know, go, go, go away sort of thing. Now, there are a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people who live life like that, who live um, and, and want to work that way and think about work in that way. There's a lot of people who are moral, um, very diligent, um, very disciplined. They work like crazy. They're trying to uh, you know, move up their, their career ladder, um, trying to please their parents um, you know, to make sure they can say to people, look, I'm a good person. You know, I'm pleasing God. You know, I'm fine. But that's not what the word please means when Paul refers to it in verse 1 here. Um, uh, a, a good theologian, Jonathan Edwards, um, said in the, in the book, I think he, he did some literature where he says in nature, the book was called The Nature of True Virtue. True Virtue. And he says this, he says, it's impossible to please God unless you have experienced the grace of God. How true is that? It's impossible to please God unless you have experienced the grace of God. So in other words, unless you've experienced the grace of God, then you would help the poor, you would go to work, but no matter what you do, as good as it may seem, you're doing it out of self-interest. You'd be doing it for, for yourself. You're, you're never helping someone because of the sake of the joy of helping someone. You're, you're never doing your job because of the sheer joy of doing your job. You're, you're always doing it in order to get something. There's always a catch for you in your mind. And you might not, you might not even see it. You might not even necessarily be, be aware of it. But if you know that God loves you because of what Jesus has done, 
if you know that God has embraced you because of his finished work, you know that you're accepted, then you'll do work out of the sheer joy of pleasing your master. Right? That's the difference. You do work out of the sheer joy of pleasing your master. You won't love people to get something. You won't help the poor necessarily to, because it makes you feel good about yourself. You do it simply because you understand that God sees them as valuable and so you need to see them as valuable. Right? You do things for God, um, not for, to get things from him, but because you want to please his heart because of what you know he's done for you. And so that's where Paul then even goes further in Colossians, in Colossians 3, verse 23. And he says, whatever you do, do uh, whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're called to please God. We're not called to please the market segment. We're not called to please clients. We're not called to please customers. We're not called to please our audience. We're not called to even please our boss or our supervisor. Instead, God ought to become our client. God is our audience. God is our supervisor and God is our boss. And when we see things that way, we would approach work in a completely different way. And again, we, we, we see it then expanded on in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verses 6 to 7. Uh, Paul says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. For a lot of us, for God to become our clients, our audience, our boss, our supervisor, that would be the worst thing ever. A lot of us. That, that would be chaos. be absolute chaos. Because right now, you get to stretch your lunch a little bit, right? Yeah, you're supposed to come back a bit at a certain time. Um, we'll stretch it a little bit. Right now, you probably ignore a few customers' emails because, you know what, I'm tired. I can't be asked with this person, so I am not responding to that email. Um, you know, right now, I don't want to deliver it to the door entirely. I don't want to knock on the door, so I'm actually going to throw this package at the door and they're going to have to check on their ring at some point and pick, pick it up. I can't be asked. Shout out to every and all them, man. They're, yeah, so, uh, you know, that, right now, that's, that's how we can live. For most of us, if God was our client, if God was our customer, if God was our boss, we would have had a torrid Tuesday this week. We probably might have been sacked on Friday, right? That, that, that's where we are, because if we were working in that way, as if we are working and doing service onto the Lord, actually, for, for sometimes where we fall short, it would be quite problematic. Until you learn to work for God's sake, not for your own sake, not for the sake of men, the work will never fulfill you. It will never fulfill you. It will never do justice for you. Work will either always be far too important or it will be too unimportant to you. You'll work yourself to death, or you'll be completely cynical about work. You'll be working for fulfillment, and you'll never find fulfillment. But if you work for him, if you work for God, ultimately, you will find all the fulfillment in the world that you need. You'll have quiet. You'll have rest. You'll find the rest. You'll find the quiet. You'll find the peace in your process of work, finding work, 
of doing work. And you'll be able to do the work that comes from a deep rest. Hebrews chapter 4, um, verses 9 to 11 says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. When we understand the gospel, when we understand that in the gospel there's freedom, a contentment, we can have a rest in Jesus, knowing that Jesus has done for us what no man can do. And so because of that, actually, the work doesn't define me. I'm no longer going to work because I'm trying to earn self-worth. I'm trying to convince myself of something. Instead, my work becomes a response. It becomes a response to the work that Jesus has done for us. And it, it means you continue working and you work hard and you work well. But you don't overwork. David, you don't overwork. <laughs> David, you don't overwork. Guys, this is a sermon for me as much as it is for, for anyone else. So, hey, if you're not saying amen, I'm saying amen. Yeah? So, it's David, you don't overwork. Like God, you rest. God created the world within seven days. On the seventh day, he rested. The Sabbath, he rested. Chill. Right? That's really important that we, we understand. Don't overwork. Like God, we are called to enjoy, enjoy work, enjoy work because you know you're doing it for a greater purpose. You're not doing work in the same way as everyone else is doing work. You don't see work in the same way as everyone else is doing work, right? There's certain things you, you, can't, you can't do, you can't, no, that, that's, that's not you, you're a child of God, right? You don't see work in, in that kind of way. Now, that doesn't mean that some of us might not have a greater capacity for the amount of work that, you know, we're able to do in comparison to others. That's fine. That's very, it's very possible that some of us have a, great, have a greater capacity for the amount of work that we take on for where our passions lie, how driven we are in work, and therefore we take on a greater capacity. That, that's, that's fine. But we must still have a rested work a kind of work that is working so efficiently, so well, because it's working out of rest. It's working out of rest in God, as opposed to a restless work, where you're chasing, chasing shadows constantly. You're never happy. You're never, you're never content in, in what you're doing in work. You're, there's, you work with a sense of confusion about purpose, about what, what you're doing. But actually, when you see God in it, if you can see God in your work, if you can see God in every element of your work, um, and if, you, if that drives you in how you utilise your passions at work, um, in how you start to job hunt as well, um, and, and in how you, you want to progress in work, it will change, change you completely. Um, it, it will be so much more fulfilling. Um, I, I know from my own personal experience, you know, last year was really difficult for me at work. I was super, super, super busy. And granted, it was because we, you know, I was doing work of basically like three people, whatever. But, you know, that kind of drives you into just a tirelessness and a drained way of work where you're no longer efficient. You're not, you're not being efficient with, with the work. You're just tired, going from one job to another, this, that, and the third. And, the, and, and some of us, were like that. We're in a constant rat race. And I get it. We're hustling. We're all hustling and busting. We've got, we've got, we've got to find, find, ways to find ways to make ends meet, to feed the family. We, we know that. In fact, Paul, 
talks about that, um, you know, in, in um, trying to think now where it is, he's discussed it. Um, I want to give you that right. There we go. So, yeah, he, he mentions it in First Timothy, First Timothy 5, 8, where he says, actually, the person who doesn't provide for his relatives is worse than an unbeliever. So we, we know, we, we understand that, we get that. We need to work hard. But actually, we would be so much more efficient and of so much more use to our families, to the people around us, to be effective to the people around us if we work out of rest. If we work out of rest, out of resting God and not work in a restless way. Yeah? I want to leave us with one um, final thought. Uh, to end this um, the scripture in Matthew Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says come to me all who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest come to me all who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest there is no better place to find rest than in Jesus there's no better way to work than to find rest in Jesus so this week Let's work hard. Let's work hard with a heart that has received rest. A heart that's received rest, giving our labor and our heavy laden hearts and our burdens to Christ. Trusting in that and thinking about that in our work. Bless you, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you because your grace is more than sufficient. I thank you, Lord, because you keep us in our work, in our pursuit of work. We spend so much time at at work. And Lord, help us to see you there. Help us to see you throughout. Help us to be shaped by you in our work and, and not to be shaped by our work. Help us, Lord, with strength, with energy um, to do work understanding that we are image bearers we are doing what you did lord you put your hands to the plow and so week in week out we want to be putting our hands to the plow we want to be thinking and focusing and looking for places for for how we can put our hands to the plow to be like you to 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 trust you more and i pray lord that you'd give us that strength that you would help us approach and 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 work in that kind of way and i pray lord where we've fallen short where we've where we've not um, been ethical, where we've not been honourable in our work because work has either become far too important or work has become far too unimportant to us, Lord, would you have mercy on us, Lord? And would you redeem us? Would you help us, Lord, to continue to push forward, to go forward, trusting you, resting in you, Lord, resting in your finished work for us? And so we approach work in that way. Lord, I pray that you'd help, that you'd help us. I pray that that would be the reality for us. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. And I pray, Lord, that you give us strength for this coming week and for the weeks to come. Um, In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.